Hi, this is Shanda Rubin, and you're listening to Brothers on Tennis. Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? This is your boy, Isaac. And this is your boy, Bryce. And we are Brothers on Tennis. And folks, you're in for a good one today. We've got our brother from another mother. we got <laughs> Mr. Andrew Jones with us today. We're going to be talking tennis, folks. Y'all better get settled in because it's going to be good. Bryce, what's going on, brother? How you doing? You know, you hit it exactly right. I mean, we have interviewed a few people this year that we've said, okay, this is actually an honorary brother on tennis with us, right? (laughs) Right. And and Andrew is absolutely no exception here. Um, You know, Andrew is also um, a peer of ours. He's a fellow host here on the Locker Room app. So uh, we will let him talk in a few minutes about uh, a daily sports wrap-up type of show he has every day. Um, So he is actually kind of family already through the uh, the locker room family. (laughs) Oh, right. So we're 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 gonna we're, we're gonna stop all this build up and stuff, and we're gonna go ahead and get it going. Right, before right. Before we before we bring up Andrew, though, we have to put on you know his in, his entrance music so we can get this going. So <laughs> Andrew, you're ready to come on up, sir. I'm definitely ready. Whoa! Come on up, Andrew. <laughs> Andrew, welcome to Brothers on Tennis. Come on up, my friend. Sir, great sirs. All I can say is that these claps here, these claps that I have <laughs> for that classic intro, I got five on it, I got six on it, all the way, Kenneth and Isaac against any other doubles team or tennis show on here or anywhere, not saying any other show. But I'll protect the truth of the matter. It's just the truth of the matter. I am honored by the introduction, grand gentlemen. Thank oh, you. Man. Thank you. Well, we are, we are honored to have you actually on the show. You are an Absolutely. extremely popular person here on the Locker Room app. And um, our, our, our good friend Howard, right, when he saw on Instagram that we were promoting <laughs> this, he was like, I'm screaming. <laughs> <You know? laughs> He he was he was ready for this. So uh, I'm glad to give Howard that entertainment and not get on his favorite quarterback anymore. That's too funny. We see that Howard is out there too. So um, so anyway, let's just get this ball rolling. So yeah, um, you know, for people that don't know, you know, give us how. Andrew Jones came to be, you know, as a child, did you play sports? What were Mm -hmm. sports? How did you get into sports media? Uh, You know, what is your favorite sport? You know, just, just give us that background so that our audience knows exactly who they're listening to. Well, girls and boys listening in the comment section or just wonderful uh, mature adults of great women and men, Um, you know, Kenneth and Isaac, it just was, you know, based on a whole love here you know, in Brooklyn, just really having sports be major in my life. And, you know, just a fast trap because basketball and football were the first, like, sports major. And actually even baseball and hockey, being the rare um, black person that liked hockey a lot growing <laughs> up in Brooklyn, it was just something where I just, you know, took an interest really to a lot of sports, you know, as a kid, um, when soccer came here with the World Cup in 94, when I was like nearly still um, like literally probably three feet 
Um, it was just something where I just was like, wow, like this looks pretty cool. So it was something where it, it would take me a lot to be against like a certain sport. And that even, that included even golf back in the day where I was wondering why is golf preempting NBA coverage? So, right, right. <laughs> Come you know, on now. But, Come on. But, but, you know, tennis really then, you know, was a part of those sports that became a thing that was like, wow, like this, this sport, you know, doesn't bore me. In fact, the sport, you know, really is kind of exciting, especially when you're having long points and the back and forth nature of the sport. And it was just something that, you know, kept on growing from when I saw Agassi play and then Sampras, but also really seeing the rivalry. And I mentioned this to you before of uh, Monica Sellis and Steffi Graf and how mm-hmm. <laughs> when um, ESPN2 started the bottom line, um, seeing that they were almost in every final of every major event was like, wow, these two must be really good. Or this must be captivating <laughs> in every final. So right. it just took off from there. Then, you know, seeing Malavia Washington play and seeing mm-hmm. someone actually black play the sport for a second, I'm like, whoa, what is going on and stuff? You know, and that was, you know, before, you know, um, Venus, you know, Williams came on the scene and then eventually Serena. So, you know, it was just something where just the life of loving sport, particularly tennis, was always there from like an early age. But, you know, I still was playing more of just the regular popular sports like basketball or Mm -hmm. like baseball growing up and then eventually it was like running track and football in high school and running track in college but it was something with tennis you know I really only had a tennis racket um all the way like really at age 12 and I didn't have that racket I was Mm. literally just playing like we had a summer camp for uh my aunt and uncle and one day they had all the kids and all of us go to like a tennis court and we went to like swimming stuff, tennis court, something like a summer camp that isn't an actual summer camp. If you know what I mean, just a regular oh, yeah. summer camp. Oh yeah. You know what it is. We <laughs> in the forest, no bug juice, no camping, <laughs> you know, it's a summer camp where you're like, yeah, kids need something to do during the summer. Yeah, let's have them be at this community center so they won't have us lose our minds during the day when we're at work. Right. So, yeah, and that was the first time I held a tennis racket. But it was just something where I just loved the sport. I just really grew, you know, into it more. And then, obviously, with Serena Venus being there, that further catapulted it. But I was loving men's tennis, you know, just as much, even if there wasn't any really predominance of any black person in the sport. So, that's how it came to be on my love in tennis. And so let me, uh, I can get into next. Well, yeah. Now, before you get to the media side, so I just want to do some some checking in with you here because you're, yes, you're from New York. You're from New York. So we yes. know from a mm-hmm. tennis standpoint, you had the U.S. Open in your backyard. So that's great. As it relates to football, now I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Mm. Oh, my father's a Dallas fan. There we go. And he lives in New York, huh? Yeah, I mean, he grew up in Arkansas, though, so that's the oh. reason why. Okay, so are you are you Giants or are you Jets? Kenneth, I have to say, this is how I'm such a loyal person, Kenneth and Isaac. Um, mm. <laughs> I'm a fan of the New York Paper Planes, i.e., otherwise known as the Jets. 
Okay, oh, okay. Nice. So, not, so not the conflict between you and I that I was going to uh, think was there. Well, <laughs> I mean, that certainly could have easily, you know, been the case. I'm just glad that you are not a Patriots fan all the way. Plenty of Patriots friends throughout the course of time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe not as you know, and I'm still will say I'm a Jets fan, but because of this news work, you know, I'm not like say. If it was like a six, like being embarrassed about being a fan of a one in fifteen team, like how they could go zero in sixteen this year. So, mm. um, but yeah, the loyalty is still there. I am not that one to switch teams in terms of of um, just if the team is doing good and bandwagoning. Although I do like a lot of players, but yeah, I am loyal to that really um, ridiculous franchise. Okay. Just like the there you go. There so you I'm go. not done. So I'm not done yet. So we hit football. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, now baseball, you know, my family supported the Yankees. So, you mm-hmm. know, are, are you Yankees or are you Mets? Can I say hallelujah? Um, <laughs> because if I was not a Yankees fan, um, <laughs> it would be some hard times as a a fan of team sports for me, without a doubt. Um, it's something where baseball, you know, became the number three for me um, right there with football and basketball. But thankfully, it was something where once the Yankees, the year before they started the whole title run, is when I had became a fan when they lost in 95 against Seattle. So um, I got right in there before the going got good because okay. the were certainly not um, – yeah, and you can we're, – we're, I guess, building up to that, not holding their end of the bargain, and sir, as hell, the Jets weren't. Okay, so so now that we've kind of crossed over to basketball, now I, I was – although I'm from Louisiana, I was raised <laughs> primarily in, in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we did, mm-hmm. not have prof- we did not have professional basketball. My team were the Knicks. And, and and let me tell you what player I have more jerseys of in basketball than any other player. Mm-hmm. John Starks. Well, man, Kenneth, Kenneth, you are just an honorary New Yorker, sir. You are. You are a star, sir. And if that didn't make me an honorary New Yorker, this one should. Um, who I'm related to on my dad's side mm-hmm. is Willis Reed. Oh, my. And it's, <laughs> you right here are showing why you deserve to be a future owner of this team. <laughs> James Dolan. I'm truly, truly meaning that. The fact that Willis Reed is distant cousin to you all the way, forget all the Patrick Ewing, the Patrick Ewing sneaker I had and him being my first jersey. Um that is something that literally leads you to fully have that. Isaac, I got to give him that New York status. I got to give him New York status. You got to give it to him. I, 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 I can appreciate him. that, bro. I can appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, that is epic, uh, Sir Everett. So I, I just wanted to do that little check-in with you because, uh, you know, I've, mm-hmm. got, I've got some little New York connections. Actually, when I was a, when I was really young, we lived in Schenectady for uh, a year or two. But um, oh, Bless, you, bless I, I, your I, heart. I, 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 I was about to say, I know y'all don't claim that. So. <laughs> it's funny, Ken. If a lot of a lot of us in the city moved up there, but the people that's been moved up there, they're like, oh, we need one, we want to move back. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry, you were getting ready to transition into the media piece. 
Yeah, I mean, it's great to have that break because I didn't want it to be any monologue. That's just not fun at all. (laughs) It really is not. And even doing it overall, it's still not that fun. I just try to maintain the fun energy. But yeah, um, you know, you know, sports in sports journalism were always my thing. You know, growing up writing like what was in box scores, still having notepads from like third, fourth, fifth grade, or like cutting out articles at a daily news. So, you know, that was something that was always in me. And I said to myself for the longest, I was like, wow, Syracuse looks cool. But it was more just the fact that I like Syracuse weirdly because they were playing in a dome in the Northeast, which was rare for any college or you know, unpaid football as a call now, or even, you know, professional NFL team be- besides the Lions and the Vikings, of course, that play in a dome. And I just thought it was cool. And then Donovan McNabb was cool. And I'm like, oh. Oh, Syracuse, yeah. I'm going to go. I'm loving Syracuse more than St. John's, da, 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 and all these things. And, um, you know, it was something where I said that that was going to be the thing where I went for broadcast journalism. But obviously, when I got to visit Syracuse, I was like, well, this is only the college is the only thing in the town. Um, nothing else is in the town besides the college. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I'm not going to have fun here. So, mm. so yeah, but it was still going to be that love of, like, you know, journalism and more of like from a broadcast sense and, you know, seeing obviously ESPN growing up, Sports Center, and even before Stuart Scott emerged, but still always liking and enjoying to do that. So that was always a thing that I wanted to do. And, you know, once I got in college at BU was still something that I wanted to do. But at that time, though, I was saying to myself that, you know, it was a little bit of the luster in terms of just outright anchoring and outright doing just, you know, just hosting on TV that I was like, mm, I don't know, like, I feel like that fulfilled to do it as I've always, you know, wanted to do it growing up. And it was just something where I just said to myself that I really still want to, you know, do more writing as I got to do more writing when I was like fifth, sixth grade and seeing like Mike Lupica writing Daily News. And now I wonder like, how the hell did he qualify to be a whole columnist <laughs> on things with how he really wasn't that great a writer. But um but it was something that really was always in me in terms of just trying to have a love and a voice for it. It was just something where I was starting to transition once like I, you know, was in senior year at college, said to myself, you know what, I don't just wanna just do this um anchoring behind the set. You know, I, I wanna do something a little bit more, you know, than that. Interesting. And and, yeah. and and so, Andrew, just kind of talk about just from a historical standpoint. I mean, wh- what are some of the, I guess, places that you have worked or things that you've done up to this point? Yeah, I mean, literally, you know, still being able to just, you know, interview someone, you know, like Serena Williams or even someone like a Charlie Ward for those in the audience, maybe. Truly of the of the set where it was um after maybe the Y2K focus of Unbelievable, not <laughs> the early nineties of things. But um, you know, talking to someone like Charlie Ward and how great a quarterback he was for the state in in in, in these times would have been a clear first round um pick and not having to deal with systematic racism like the black quarterbacks, but you know, you know, talking, you know, the people, you know, like those figures or someone like Drew Holiday in the NBA or, um, you know, a few more people like Neymar randomly in the soccer world. Mm-hmm. And it's something where 
it's a thing where I, you know, feel that it's something that I don't ever, no matter where I go in any other like accomplishments that I may, you know, be lucky like to have in this crazy like profession. It's something like I don't really, you know, take like for granted at all, no matter, you know, if I have like anything on ESPN or stuff like that or just via any outlet, because it's like such like still a thing where you're like, wow, this is something that's still not happening every day. And a lot of people in this whole profession, particularly in, you know, in the tennis world, I think really take that for granted. And that's why you see a lot of um, the athletes in ACP and WCA, particularly even WCA, a lot of them, you know, big pieces and, you know, you know, life reveals are coming from people outside of the tennis world and things like that. So um, like in, in terms of venues, like one thing I will say is that, you know, it's something that because of like also focusing on a lot of political journalism, I hadn't had the advantage of always just covering just sports where there's a lot of venues, you know, yes, it's been great whether, you know, U.S. Open or a few other places or, like, down Key Biscayne or Indian mm-hmm. Wells in terms, at least in a tennis sense, to be there and try to cover those events, you know, in the ways the D.C. tournament with its long history and even Toronto in terms of its great history. But it's something where, like, even with those venues there, there's still, like, a lot more, you know, that I hope to, like, accomplish in terms of, like, being able to cover you know, one woman person, like, really getting my mind on that Australian flight after COVID. But, like, you know, <laughs> right. that flight. yeah, can't preach on it. So, <laughs> you know, it's something where at least, like, the, the places that I've been and the people that I've talked to so far, you know, has been something where I'm like, wow, like, this is something that even 10 years ago, if I said that, you know, be, beforehand, I would have been like, wow, like that is something that I necessarily didn't expect, you know, or to come like at a certain way in this decade through like mm-hmm. the channels that I've been through. So, so yeah. And, and Andrew speak, speak on your journey just as a person mm-hmm. of color an African-American male in your particular, in your particular field in, in sports journalism, ha, have there been, you know, I, and I know there probably there has been, but talk to mm-hmm. us just about your path. Has it been, you know, has it been a difficult one? Has it been, you know, better than expected, you know, some mm-hmm. just kind of talk about your journey, talk about the things that you, you've been through to get to the point where you're at now. Well, you know, Isaac, it's something that needs to be stated on this in terms of keeping it real. <laughs> Keep it real, bro. You know, <laughs> Come on now. Come know, on now. Come on ter- now. In terms of things, um, you know, it's something where I say that when when I decided first to do a little mix of both, like, at least some political news journalism and, like, sports journalism, it was something where I said to myself that, you know, there were a lot of people that I, you know, was seeing from the outside where I'm thinking like, wow, like this is something where, you know, these people really have been in this position maybe five, 10 years, or they really, really are the best in their craft, particularly if you say even in the sports sense where a lot of the sports world, you know, unfortunately has still more of even more of that connection sense than even per se with like political news where a lot of people or general news don't necessarily want to do that. And, you know, a lot more people in, say, media world would rather want to necessarily be on camera than, like, maybe trying to write or do a lot of intensive research. But, you know, you know, things that, you know, that I experienced so far is still that level of lack of true, um, you know, representation 
of like diversity. Now in tennis, obviously it's a sport that is very much, you know, predominantly, you know, white in its areas as well as say also at least in America in terms of like media landscape in terms of soccer. But mm-hmm. um it, it's still like that resistance at least or in terms of um wanting to acknowledge certain factors, I think, you know, was like a real like issue like for me dealing with in like the whole decade I've been in this whole game. And uh, one particular uh, moment, you know, was when I was covering um, United States men's national soccer team and they had their qualifier against Costa Rica. Now this is the U S team that failed to make the world cup. So this is the last version of it, but um, (laughs) it was a lot of weirdness that I was dealing with in the whole um, press room with one journalist who I certainly will not name um, at this time. I'm not going to put him on blast, even though I'll tell you who it is for sure on the low later. But, um, <laughs> you know, I certainly, you know, would do that. And I, in a very jovial mood at the moment. But, um, you know, guy literally, you know, this is my first time covering just a qualifier and actually just a, a, a major like soccer event like that. And, um, you know, he proceeded to like straight up, like, be interrupting when he clearly saw that I was like having the question and having the uh, PR guy say it was me next. And I had to really give him some Brooklyn in a very civil way where I was I had to tell him like, um, do you have any um, professional decorum here? Because you straight up interrupted me just now. And he really was that first trying to be all hostile, say, Oh, it's your first time here, whatever. I'm like, um, what does the first thing I have to do with basic manners? And he stopped himself, you know, in terms of like how aggressive he was and irrational he was being mm-hmm. and then settled himself and like apologized to me um, 15, 20 minutes later. So, um, you know, it was things like that from just a whole, you know, blatant level that was like a thing that was really odd and something that, you know, was a problem when you were like literally like one of two black journalists and like a, 25 30 person you know um media room Mm -hmm. but um there's also like you know just other factors and you know when we talk about whether you know of getting you know trying to limit any nepotism or things in terms of truly getting the best people for roles you know it's something where you see that particularly in the tennis world where there's a lot of people that don't watch matches isaac and kenneth that truly in (laughs) and i'll tell you this right now like in a lot of the big tournaments, it surprised me that you had a lot of people in there in terms of media colleagues really not watching tennis. Like, really? not watching anywhere beyond the big names and even some of the quote-unquote big names, they necessarily were watching. They were on their phone doing other things, paying mm-hmm. attention, having conversations. And it's something that I just found that was, like, really odd for a lot of people who, whether, you know, you two great gentlemen or other, whether black or even non-black or any, even any, any person that's white that's very passionate about tennis and the sports in general who you see on Twitter knowing, you know, quali- not only qualifiers, but players playing and challengers or in mm-hmm. ITF events. You know, it was a really disturbing thing to see that people that have these spots, whether at the Times or whether it's Sports Illustrated or these other places that were established, really weren't doing the due diligence of that. So, you know, being able to deal with a lot of people that truly, you know, frankly, shouldn't be at those jobs Mm -hmm. and then just trying to then try to highlight 
not only any work that she, that you know I would do, obviously, but other people that I know that truly you know deserve those positions or deserve to really have a platform to really inform people the best about players and about rule changes and just the basic dynamics of a whole tennis calendar or a media sense is something that I like really took you know a sense of honor really like to kind of fight for with that and to fight for in a way where you also see that yeah this person truly deserves it and this other person that's in there really is like yeah um you are clearly someone that would be better off you know covering maybe um some level of like entertainment news and not um actual tennis so um yeah well, you know what, um, you know, as as we talk about Brothers on Tennis, you know, we have, we of course started as a podcast and, you know, we have plans to kind of expand into other areas. And, and one of the things that, unfortunately, because of the Rona and <laughs> 2020, uh, we weren't able to have the on-site presence at tournaments that we mm. originally planned to have mm-hmm. and you know one of the things we want to be able to do is to you know broadcast live maybe catch you know interviews with not just players or coaches or something like that but even with fans right to try to expand the experience for people who are not there there's a side for me personally i don't know if isaac is as interested in the side but i've always had an interest in that media room mm-hmm. and, and so that's part of where I'd like to see Brothers on Tennis go as well is for us to have those same type of experience where we can be in the room, that where we can ask questions. But from what I've heard from you and actually from quite a few other people, mm-hmm. it seems like it's a, it's a piece of work to really <laughs> um, get in there and to have that kind of position. The gospel of truth. I tried to get to you, this sir, as Isaac and Kenna on these things. Um, you know, there are a few people, in fact, you know, there's a decent bit of people that, you know, when they're in that in that press room, um, they are, like, fully aware, uh, particularly those that, you know, may not be Black, that of the whole dynamics of a room, particularly when it comes to a non, you know, white player being interviewed. And I think that, you know, it's something where you really see the level or lack of you know, perspectives not be truly diverse, like in their questioning or in them, you know, thinking that maybe a certain person will ask a certain question because they fit like a demographic, you know, of that player or think that they were going to just ask that question. Um, You know, there's still a lot of really dedicated, great figures in terms of, you know, in, in, in the tennis circles, at least in the media range that, really do love it and also are quality people like there mm-hmm. you know there certainly are but you know because of all of the um a lot of newspapers and you know media outlets having tennis as a niche sport having it as a second or third level like type of sport in terms of coverage especially beyond you know just the slams you really do have that lack of you know consistent you know knowledge of things i mean you literally are having people like acts in terms of a player when they're about to play someone else like you know what's your thoughts on this matchup without even reviewing if the player actually has a head-to-head history you know (laughs) wow last match oh my goodness and it's really cringe and really painful 
you know, and, and something where it's so embarrassing when you have that player have to say, well, I actually played this player in juniors. Uh, no, we actually, you know, had this sort of history where you can literally YouTube and Google the <laughs> and see them play. You right. know, so it's something where, like, and it's already troubling enough where you don't maybe, you know, have a lot of, like, like real other stats beyond just, say, for a serve percentage or, you know, in terms of seeing – how certain points made or certain games had major, you know, momentum swings. And, and, and you see where you lack that information when people literally just don't watch the match. So um, I think that it's something where the newsroom in tennis has a lot of like just basic issues in regards to people truly being knowledgeable and knowing um, beyond just say more than top players, like what's going actually on not only in matches, but what's coming into those matches and mm-hmm. having that be an element where, you know, you have that. Also, you just have a case where, um, you know, you will have a lot of people try to favor certain narratives in regards to, wow, these young players won today. So let's usher in these young players. It's a movement of young players right now and look for a lot of lazy narratives mm-hmm. and, and just look for the whole thing that they think is going to be a story and not try to give respect to me to all of the players. And I think that that's always been like a thing that I try to, you know, emphasize for me is really knowing like not only who's like up and coming and whatnot, but who's truly been consistent and who's someone that's really um, come from, minor leagues, humble circumstances, not gotten the level of junior height, really unheralded journey woman or journey man, and mm-hmm. trying to give them context too, so we won't be wondering who the heck is this person that be such and such <laughs> on an upset like you were doing a Roland Garros, you know, for you know, this go around and and really all the way I mean, last year when we saw like the rise of like Chekinato in, in the whole thing and have people all shocked out of nowhere. Right, right. And Andrew, have you been in the media room at any of the other Grand Slams? Because I'm assuming that you've been at the U.S. Open, right? Well, Isaac, you're going to laugh at this and Kenneth, you're going to laugh at this. In turns in my home slam, my slam that is literally 30, 35 minutes away, it is easier for me to get a press pass for the Australian Open, which they gave me, and I appreciate them. Then it is dealing with that in terms no. of now. Now, part of the Isaac and Kenneth is like part of my career. I've done like general news, you know, because of how spots, you know, may not open up. Even though I still would try to cover tennis or write tennis freelance wise before, you know, I got the tournaments and then started at least working more for sports organizations. And then sometimes when I started working for a sports organization like SB Nation, it would say after the deadline for the U.S. Open. And mm-hmm. the U.S. Open is very, 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 uh, let's just say, um, elitist, and that is being nice in terms of that whole description in regards to really giving a lot of legacy media only really the credentials and not even those who cover tennis extensively and break news, you know, on their tennis blog. So, you know, despite that, in all the U.S. Open love, I have never actually covered the U.S. Open in person. And this is having colleagues at ESPN and having, you know, colleagues at least at Tennis Channel a bit, <laughs> close to people and stuff like that. And, you know, you people times, even though 
There's other people at the times that are very problematic. Man, Rottenberg. So, <laughs> you know, I don't mind saying that because I expressed that many times. But, um, yeah, it's been actually easier for me <laughs> to get Lady of Press Pass if I'm not, say, at ESPN or even SB Nation or outlet that's known that um, then getting it from U.S. Open. And plus, they really do have this thing where they ask for credentials um, in May in terms of the deadline when the wow. tournament is literally at the end of August. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and that's a real issue that, you know, tennis does is that they know that the systematic barriers for, you know, it's not just say any black people are just regular black people, but also just the hardcore really tennis fan and blogger who literally dedicates themselves to watching, watching, you know, 250s or ACB challengers or Mm -hmm. ICF events or the Orange Bowl for the juniors. And it's really just an unfortunate thing and why people in, in tennis media, most of them, you wonder, like, what the hell are you talking about in regards to evaluating the player and knowing that player's background? Now, didn't you work for the WTA for... Yeah, it's funny, Kenneth. <laughs> it's funny, Kenneth Magic. <laughs> How this came to be. Um, four years ago, um, I had a then at the time um, friend who um, didn't, who wasn't well-versed. In fact, wasn't versed at all in tennis. He was actually versed in soccer. And this is what I talk about in terms of how comical and really nutty a lot of tennis media is with how dysfunctional it completely is, all right? Um, he got contacted and became part of this group, literally called the social network, not having any ties <laughs> to, you know, movie about a creep that made Facebook, Facebook. But um, it was something where he um, talked to me because he knew that I covered tennis. And he was saying to me, hey, Andrew, um, yeah, you know, we I got connected with this group. And they were actually the, um, he's actually the guy that did Maria Sharapova's, um, you know, website and, and whole, you know, media and like online stuff. And, and, and I was like, what? It's like, yeah, he got, um, he got contracted by the WTA to do their social, um, network for the WTA championships. And, you know, we, we really needed someone that really knows like the WTA and the tennis in general and you're like the ideal person. I'm like, all right, that's great. But how in the heck am I going to do this at WCA when, like, this is the WCA we're talking about? And, like, do am I going to, we're going to Singapore? He's like, well, we're <laughs> actually doing it here in Manhattan. We're doing the social media. People in the audience, in the gallery, you're going to love this all the way, Bailey. The good sir, Mitchell, and all you wonderful people, Kelly Matt, you got to hear this one. <laughs> we were literally doing the social media for the WCA championships a half a world away from the actual WCA championships. I kid you not. <laughs> I am telling you all the truth. Oh, so man. I got bought into this, and literally, we were just giving. All the two. So the day before, it was um, the final tournaments in Luxembourg, and I think in Linz as well. So I'm trying to remember. I know Luxembourg was the one with that, but um, it was the day before 
the WCA finals because they can be ridiculous, the WCA, in terms of literally going right into the WCA finals where players <laughs> can qualify. Right, right. right. The day before. <laughs> and, you know, we were, I was already, we were in the office and everything. And we were just like, yeah, we got the streams to like the matches. We can clip the clips right there on Twitter and repost on Facebook. And it was like, this is the biggest women's tennis organization slash league, at least most popular, most right. popular combining individual and team sports. And you mean to tell me that <laughs> that they're literally offsetting this in their social media platform for their marquee event, individual marquee event, by an outside contractor. <laughs> and the wow. only reason they did it is because the guy had a great background by doing Maria Sharapova stuff. So it was really wild, but it was like, yeah, they were like, yeah, we just need our social up to get our numbers up. So I was like, all right, so I'm basically the WTA social media manager now. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we, you know, it was something where during that tournament, I don't know if um, the audience will remember this, and but you gentlemen will remember this for sure, is that um, the clip that you saw on the WCA's page, uh, and I clipped it because I've been doing all the social work, was when the minute Slepmana Kuznetsova cut off her hair, or cut off a portion of her hair during the match because it was weighing her down. <laughs> yep, yep. And I said immediately, yeah, we need to get this because they didn't have a lot of those, you know, random, like, little part things that could be viral beyond just, say, anything that was happening in the match. And I said, we need to get that because that will go viral because no one has ever done this. Shout out to Sweater doing her thing and being Sweater doing Sweater things. And I was like, yeah, we got to get this. We got to get this. And I clicked it. And this whole thing, you know, was the thing that more than both a good thing and both a bad thing, it was the most viral event that we, the most viral thing of the event that we posted on social media. And it was a thing where, you know, (laughs) it was like getting that crossover coverage was the thing that I was targeting. It was about the targeting of that. So seeing like the likes of Carrie Champion or certain like celebrities and then seeing ESPN and SI and Fox Sports cover it and like use the suite and bet the suite. The only thing that I wish is that I would be like, yeah, Andrew Jones did the suite right here. You know, but you couldn't do that because we obviously were running it in a professional sense, or at least I was running in a professional sense. And the numbers and the traffic was great, you know, but there was one thing that was the weird factor and why, you know, we didn't continue on in that. And that was sadly because there were a lot of random Sheriff Over fans that uh, knew that I was doing the work. And, you know, and they knew because at the time, you know, uh, my Slugger Jail Twitter account, you know, this is when I was, like, at least verified. And, you know, they knew that I had at least, like, a voice in terms of, like, tennis media. And, you know, they knew that I expressed how, you know, Marie Sherpa was a horrible person. (laughs) (laughs) She frankly is. And, you know, they knew, despite, you know, me being very neutral on these things, um, you know, that I was doing the whole thing with the media with it. And it was just a whole thing where one person and um, one random person, like I'll name him because he's really not a person, 
um, this guy, Jimmy, who's, I guess, doing some stuff for them in terms of their photography for WCA, he went from being a Caroline Wozniacki fan to a Sharapova fan. Weird career move, but a career <laughs> move that he wanted to ingratiate himself with her. And, you know, didn't like the fact that I was doing a fine job and stuff like that. And, you know, tried to tell somebody that he knew in WTA circles that, oh, you got this guy. He seems like he has a reputation being a major Sheriff Palmer critic. And, you know, it was something where despite us having, like, the best traffic that we have for WTA championships, the person that literally brought me there because he didn't know anything about tennis um, he said, oh, he's going to work with the WCA and benefited from the work that I did. Mm. <laughs> and, mm. Yeah, it continued on before he realized he didn't want to cover any more the WCA and, you know, left eight months later and they were still in flux over their social media. So, yeah, that's how I was working for the WCA for one tournament for the WCA championships and thinking that, hey, I could really expand this further. We could really, instead of just trying to do this forced like identity thing that the WCA does in cheesy fashion, and they mm-hmm. don't cover their great athletes seriously in this great wave of like growing depth in the game, they just try to cover in this whole oh, you know, this girl has this in her in her bag purse or something like that, or try to do these whole you know cross style posting, whether it be Serena or, you know, at the time, Sharapova, other stuff, you know, they don't cover the game. And that's why their media center, as well as their whole organization, is behind ACP beyond just, say, of course, the gender norms and the whole, you know, the gender chauvinist or systematic chauvinist of our times. But it's something where they literally are doing things in a way where they're looking for the next job and not covering the women's game like they should from this a whole basic content standpoint. And mm-hmm. that was a glaring example of that right there when they outsourced it to <laughs> a third party wow. for their organization. That is crazy. That is absolutely yep. crazy. Man, yeah. oh man. <laughs> it's a lot, y'all. It's a lot, lots. <laughs> so Andrew, let's 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 transition this a mm-hmm. little bit now to actual tennis because one of the great things about you is you do watch the matches and you mm-hmm. do follow the tennis and so um obviously 2020 was a crazy year right mm. the calendar got shuffled all about no, we didn't no, know no. what tournaments <laughs> we're gonna play and people in the bubbles and we got people creeping out of the bubbles and right. all kinds of good stuff mm-hmm. but and we had some surprise winners in 2020 what were your Give us your highlights of 2020, you know, um, the, the who won at the majors, who were surprises, who were newcomers, you know, what were your thoughts? Well, the highlights of us being able to see tennis after the pandemic is all I can say. We got to give a clap for that, gentlemen. Yes, <laughs> yes. And he comes with the sound effects. I love it. <laughs> we, we were wondering right there, and especially when I counseled you gentlemen, at the start of this, when the U.S. Open was going on, it was mm-hmm. just saying, like, you know, how are we going to get through this? And hopefully we won't have any outbreak that has anyone wondering, is there going to be any litigation on some people? Um, <laughs> you know, so that was at least, like, at least a highlight, I think, for everybody, is just to see, you know, any, you know, tennis um, this year. Um, at the center, 
course, we praise Naomi Osaka immensely mm-hmm. on this, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I can get back into it so I won't have it just be just an old black people thing or whatnot with that. <laughs> um, you know, but I, I think for me, it's something where I have to give first, you know, a lot of credit, you know, how Iga Swartz had obviously emerged mm-hmm. and did her mm-hmm. thing. And though she, um, the person who she beat in the final, um, has a a level of a polarizing take, as we touched upon, uh, you know, no one could have thought that uh, Sophia Cannon um, was going to win a Grand Slam. And, right. um, you know, even with how great she was in juniors and being junior number one, it was still a game that was this person too small and, you know, not enough racket speed or natural racket speed, racket head speed, like to really be someone that you thought, wow, this girl among the wave of incredible American talented um, young woman um, is someone that you would say, well, she's a sure bet to win right. a Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. So I right. had to give her, you know, major credit, you know, on that. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, for, you know, with a lot of the short year, you know, the emergence, obviously, of Yannick Sinner, as we've discussed, and mm-hmm. the way that he's risen, you know, quickly, where it's never a guarantee, you know, with teenagers, particularly if you don't have the reputation, you know, that Phyllis O.J. Alessime had, at least, like, from age 14, 15 professionally, um, you know, something that I think has to give the credit for with that in terms of, like, you know, the surprises. And, you know, and also got to give Jen Brady credit. You know, she evolved out at least uh-huh. over the summer and, you know, did. did her thing to make herself like, um, you know, really relevant in the picture. So, you know, for me, you know, those are like the major like surprises or at least, at least positive surprises. And obviously the one is um, Novak Djokovic, Novak Djokovic into a lot of craziness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Him hitting hmm. people in the throat with no. the, uh, the tennis balls. Yeah. Uh, after that COVIDness, so so what about the guys though? Because I think mm-hmm. the guys, I mean, the Australian, we saw Djokovic, uh, U.S. Open, we saw team breakthrough, yep. uh, French Rafa did his thing again for the again. 13th time, and, mm-hmm. then, and then Medvedev wrapped it up at the year end. Yes, he sure did because he said to himself, Damn, I thought that U.S. Open was gonna be mine. <laughs> <laughs> I got foiled again, um, <laughs> you know, and it's something where he, that was a real momentum boost for him. And, you know, just being able to get that tournament and obviously beating who he did to win that title in that week to beat Djokovic, Nadal, and team um, mm-hmm. is something where you would hope for him in 2021, if they're able to play it in other tournaments, obviously, that, you know, a slam for him has got to be at least one slam um, the expectations for him without a shadow of the doubt. Um, you know, it's something where I have to say that I was a little bit surprised in terms of not seeing like Felix like take that step up a little bit and how he still has a lot of those double fault issues. So that was something that, you know, at least will stick out in terms of how that's going to go in terms of the off season, how if he's going to be able to be stable and get that tournament, you know, breakthrough that he, you know, now really should have, you know, had in regards to things. Obviously, the situation 
you know, Sasha Zerub is a whole lightning rod of an issue. <laughs> and I'm saying that it's like, Lord, Lord, Lord. Yep. Like, um, yeah, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a lot, a lot to do, a, already a lot now. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think a lot more in general with that. But, um, it, you know, it's a thing where uh, other than that, um, you know, and, and seeing Andy Murray still try to, you know, think he's going to mm-hmm. have this whole comeback and God bless him. And, you know, trying to, you know, make this whole wave and not retire and have another announcement video made for him, you know, (laughs) but um, yeah, I mean, it was something where I was glad to see the rise of Christian Green a little bit and and just the likes of Hugo and Bear really Mm -hmm. try to solidify himself, Casper Rude um, to do his thing. So uh, hopefully we see Francis Giafo. You know, straighten himself out with that and bounce back from, um, you know, disappointments of lately. And, you know, who knows with, with Nick Kyrgios how that's going to go. So, <laughs> you know, so. And, that, hmm? Andrew, do you have a favorite, like, male and female player? Well, right now, in terms of in the game right now, um, Isaac, or just uh, in terms of the game right now, right? Yeah, in terms of the game right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something where, you know, for the men, um, it's weird how, because he throws his body into every shot, Andre Rublev makes me laugh. Like, <laughs> he, 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 he makes me laugh. He's like, a, to me, a new version of Juan Carlos Ferrero a bit, because Ferrero, just a little taller, but, you know, uh-huh. obviously, with the way he kind of swings the strokes, is someone that I do enjoy. I mean, obviously, you know, Gael Monfils for sure, even though oh, yeah. we know what it is with Gael in terms of that. But the fact that Gael is still top 11 at the moment and still mm-hmm. soldiering on, mm-hmm. and hey, you know, I mean, Lena, and we'll get to that in a second, you know, in terms of that. But, um, you know, that's something where I'm always going to enjoy him. I'm glad to see him really try to at least, you know, utilize all of his talent. Even mm-hmm. though he's already had, right. like, a quality career, but from what he should have been able to produce, obviously it hasn't led to slams and, and a lot of um, the latest of many French players who unfortunately never were able to get to the pinnacle of the game, despite, you know, all their talent, um, you know, and it's, you know, really enjoying like the likes of, you know, the Mega Man dominant team. And the reason why I called the Mega Man is because he would be in the past, at least every Facebook post, and his whole status with writing the word mega. And, you know, that explosiveness of that forehand and that athleticism mm-hmm. is something, you know, that always is entertaining to watch. And a guy that I really think, along with Kyrgios, truly is someone that is always going to be box office, whether he wastes his talent or not, is a kid by the name of Alexander Blue Black. And mm-hmm. Alexander Blue Black, yep. for those, yep. you know, outside of, like, the regular watch tennis purview, like, us are like we are um is a guy that has immense talent and yep. also immense random comedy of <laughs> yes. exactly and someone that's all about entertainment and it, it was good to see him at least utilize his talent and make himself be maybe a factor you know for next year to emerge mm-hmm. on the scene had to sneeze right there. I didn't want to get the audio on the sneeze right there. <laughs> you know, I remember. See, Howard, see, I remember now. You know, I do. But, um, he, 
he's a guy, you know, hitting 140 miles an hour, 144 sometimes on the radar, but then will drop in random drop shots. Will mm-hmm. do the underhand serve here and there too, you yep. know, that is always um, a person worth watching. Um, as well as one young American that I do like, and not that I don't like, um, uh, Taylor Fritz, who I think, you know, has a lot of expectations in Riley Apelka, but Sebastian Quarter, who was someone mm-hmm. that I like and had the yeah. pleasure of interviewing. Yes, sir. Yeah, who I had the pleasure of interviewing um, in 2018. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I like that kid. He's got some potential. He showed out at the French this year. He did. Yeah, sure did. Now, who do, you like on, who do you like on the women's side? Well, you know, practically anyone that's not dealing with the ridiculousness of uh, Maria Sharapova anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and it's fascinating because, you know, the WCA, mm. they clipped when I interviewed her in Toronto after the match, and I actually didn't give her a hard, a really hard question about um it was just that what made her join twitter after she was just disparaging twitter saying no one's gonna care about eating breakfast or who eats breakfast whatever as she would obviously do but you know it's something where it really is something that is a blessing considering you know we were all you know fans like elisa venus serena coming up and how there was really that level of animosity towards them um, from some other players, well, like, at least some, definitely, besides just, you know, likes of Miss Spurlayer and her yeah. son. Mm-hmm, so, yeah. Miss mm-hmm. Bumpy, Miss Bumpy. Miss <laughs> Bumpy, there you go. <laughs> you know, that, you know, you had, unfortunately, that level where there were a lot of players you thought hangers back in the day, you know, even Navenport, who's now just, you know, always been a wonderful person, but really still was like, is she allotted with Hengis? Like, what's this whole thing? And then obviously, you know, you we hadn't seen the level of success at that level in the modern era, at least God bless Althea Gibson, obviously Arthur Ashe and Lori mm-hmm. McNeil um, deserves their whole love with that, without a doubt. Um, Zena Garrison, no doubt, who's a wonderful person, as you two yes. know. Yeah. Uh-huh. Doubt, you know, from Chanda all the way. Um, and I had the pleasure of talking to her amazing self. But it was something where you 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 had that that clear thing of really just Venus Serena, maybe Mary Pierce, you know, obviously Monica Sellis you liked back then. Now for me, in terms of really covering um the WCA and just how the level of great, great depth of the game and mm-hmm. how I would go to bat literally defending, you know, whether it was Wozniacki or was Wanska from a lot of people and just the shuffling rankings and just felt that you know, throughout the early 2010s, that there was a a tremendous growth where you were seeing these top players challenge in the first round. And even with the 32 seeds, you were still seeing these upsets happening, you know, um, and seeing that you could have the likes of, say, a a Zheng Shui, you know, beating Mm -hmm. Anna uh, Anna Ivanovich and rising up and doing her thing and, and seeing the level of depth that was coming in this game. Well, frankly, you know, you know, a lot of players, like, it, it, it really, you know, really, you know, gravitate to particularly those who really move well. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, obviously Serena Venus will be, like, at that top, and Serena will from just in terms of just a fan standpoint, you know, but I have, like, you know, that great appreciation for, you know, Simona Halep being able to win slams at five foot five and mm-hmm. not necessarily having, like, the the real lightning push strokes that Justine Nenna had 
and still managing to do that and really to me doing it by herself and not with Darren Cahill, even though people want to give him all the damn credit. <laughs> um, you know. But um, you know, whether, you know, with Simona or how Naomi's rose or, you know, seeing even the likes of players like I feel that's gonna still burst out like a Martha Costa. We talked about everything with mm-hmm. you know Amanda Nisimova and the whole things and whether she's gonna live up to like that actual, you know, hype and expectations. But I think social media for me, you know, really has helped, you know, seeing a lot of these players in this whole side where, I mean, I would have never, and this is why I made it great to interview her, you know, um, when, you know, when Alina Sudalina was rising up, you know, I didn't know that she really uh, loved a lot of um, certain hip hop over here. And had oh, really? a good taste of mm. music beyond, you know, and, you know, really was someone that, you know, didn't mind posting about, you know, certain things that were not what you may have expected from someone from Kiev and Ukraine. You know, right. so, okay. You know, it was something where, you know, it, it led to being able to see, like, truly a lot of players, what they were about. Excuse me, Odessa, because she did grow up in Odessa. Um, it's something where you were able to really see a lot of these players, even when you're dealing with how the Pliskova twins can be maybe standing off a share and there, but then if you ask them something that they post about things like that, you could get a good conversation with that. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's something where a lot of players like I really do enjoy, you know, covering and, you know, for different characteristics, whether, you know, Naomi's like, you know, random sarcasm that can be funny. And also besides her, you know, really having that identity, of like being, you know, not shy to talk about, you know, both her blackness and, you know, Japanese-ness or, or um, you know, seeing just anyone stay around in the game a little bit more, like even someone like Samantha Stozer and someone that I truly do, you know, adore as a person um, is Ashley Barty. And it's not mm-hmm. only because I had a great talk with her father when she was just trying to qualify at 15 for like the U.S. Open like back in the day. And that was the day we had an earthquake here in New York, randomly in 2011. So weird. But, um, you know, there are just a lot of really quality women in terms of just how they like to talk to other players in the locker room. There isn't that whole, you know, cantankerous, like, um, I'm going to get mine, like, I'm about me, you are the enemy. That was what Sheriff O was about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, Serena's really helped with a lot of that you know, uh, with that fully all the way, you know, Serena could have easily been someone that, you know, chose to still be, Hey, I don't care about these people. I'm going to still do me and all these things. And you see how a lot of players, whenever Serena wins, like they embrace her yep. and the right. reason why is because she really is someone in the locker room that, yeah, they know she's a first competitor, but they also see that she's great fun to be around mm-hmm. you know, and really someone that's really hospitable and when you give her like that level of like kindness back, she gives it to you back. And Venus does too. You know what I mean? The Miller Garp wouldn't be wearing like Venus is 11. <laughs> That's right. You know, That's right. That way it got itself at least because she'll get me on that if I say Garp. So, so, so well, yeah, you know, and- so that's what it is. And I wanted to remind, you know, since we're kind of at the tail end of this interview, mm-hmm. if anybody is out there, if you've got questions that you want to ask Andrew, uh, either shoot them to us in a discussion or 
you know, we'll take a couple people to come up and, and speak with us. So, yes. um, you know, please don't um, hesitate to do that while we continue the conversation. Because the question I have for you, Andrew, and I really want your opinion on this. Oh, <laughs> give me your thoughts on Bianca Andrescu, because she gave us a hot six months. Mm. And then was mm-hmm. I, right, right. See, holla. You know, are, are we gonna see some more of that hotness, or was that just like a flash in the pan? And that I was, I was saying in my mind, should I mention her as a player that joined the section? Because we had mentioned this a lot, you know, in terms of this whole perspective with her. Shout out to the nine people still, and all the others still listening. By the way, I'm glad that. I've been able to not bore you with any <laughs> like the whole past with that. You know, with Miss Andrescu, this is a thing where she definitely had that wonderful, wonderful period where it helped that she didn't have necessarily the expectations or the weight to win in terms of she needs to win this match. Uh, particularly in the two matches that she played against Serena in that summer. Obviously, Serena retiring early in that Rogers Cup final in Toronto, which I was literally, you know, in person, you know, of. And in that whole week, you know, talking to both of those players, you know, in the uh, press room. Um, and then we saw what happened, you know, with the U.S. Open with Serena still with that expectation, you know, mm-hmm. to win. And it's something where Bianca really matched up well with her in terms of the fact that, Serena, despite her still moving decently, she still's not going to move all the way that amazing as she used to to get right. to certain balls. And and school's physically strong. Like, she's <laughs> physically strong at the least with that. This whole thing, though, where the fitness um, and the expectations on her just is going to help that she doesn't have maybe any ranking points to defend when she comes back. And, you know, it's <laughs> like this pandemic... You can understand why, but with her injuries and all this stuff, it was really just the whole fitness with that. Um, but that's something where, you know, someone, if she goes against and we saw at the WCA championships last year, is that, you know, when she was facing against a lot of the young players around her age group and how, you know, they, you know, was benefiting from the energy that the youthful energy that she had against Serena, you know, the win streak stopped. You know, she couldn't hit through. Or Naomi was the one that was hitting through her in a whole contest, and she wasn't able to continue that whole uh, shoot that she was on in terms of doing things. Simona Halep got her there. So I think even with that, that took a little bit of that whole invincible aura that she was playing with from winning in Indian Wells against Kerber in that final all the way to the end. I mean, she went 0-3 last year in, uh, in Shanghai. So... Um, I think that it's going to be the questions with it um, and trying for her to get back that wave of whole confidence. But um, I think that it's going to really need for me to see if she's able to have improved that movement even more at that level because, you know, Serena was one thing, but now against other players that have different level of characteristics towards their game and youthful vigor like, say, Naomi, or someone even at the level of, let's say, Carol Pliskova, um, I think that it's going to be interesting to see how she performs against players that maybe hit a little bigger than her and can move slightly better than her. We're going to see if she has that aura back. Right, right. Yeah, and, and I'm that, not, the jury's still out. I say, yeah. mm, 
<laughs> Agree, man. Agree completely. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I just feel that way. I just feel that, you know, it was the, the run was tremendous. And she showed like a lot in terms of shot making, in terms of showing at least a great competitive head. No mm-hmm. question about it. But um, it was still also benefiting from that level of um, still being an underdog. And right. we've seen so many times in the WCA game of late, it's great to do this underdog, but are you going to be able to do it as the main dog, the favorite? And really only Serena showing that, and we're going to see if Naomi is going to send to that or if Ashley Barty, when she gets mm-hmm. that active, is going to do that or anybody will. Right. And Andrew, talk to me about how do you, what do you think, how mm-hmm. do you think the year will look for a uh, team for 2021? Well, for Nami the Mega Man, besides, you know, maybe Christina Mendelovich hoping they go to another level. <laughs> <laughs> are they still together? No. I don't, I don't think they are, actually. No. I, think, yes. I think it was I... a departure, unfortunately. I think it was a. <laughs> I think it was some level of departure thing. It was like yeah. a lot of up and on, but um, they're they're officially they're officially done done with that. And he's talked about that um even before, but they got that off and on a lot, but not really this year in 2020. But mm. I think for dominant with how Nicholas Masu, you know, has given him that level of mm-hmm. you know added a little more edge, and then yes, he you know won a Grand Slam with not having to play Novak, Rafa. And, and Roger, yes, but he still won the slam and really came through in that match against Sasha Zverev, where it could have certainly swung that other way with mm-hmm. that, and he could have also that should have, that really was the tournament that Medvedev was online to win, and that didn't go down after Novak obviously had his incredible moment of like lunacy, even <laughs> if it was unintentional. So right, right. you know, but um, yeah, it's the thing where with dominant team. It's the expectations where, as someone as I always called him, Baby Warinka, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what he with that and, and what he can do with that, even though he's taller than Stan. But um, the expectations for me is for him to truly say to, my, to himself that I can be a threat to win this Australian Open, um, mm-hmm. particularly if the surface is like slow enough, you know, because even when you're open, you know, and it was still, you know, quick as it is or whatever, but he still benefited from not having to play any of the big three there. But um, I think that at least on clay, yes, Rafa is still pretty, pretty, <laughs> you know, dominant with that. Oh, yeah. I think for him, he really, I think, needs to make that stride there where he can say to himself, I should be at the level of how Stan, you know, when Roland Garros and, and, and be on – on it every single match there. And I think just truly solidifying himself, um, if he stays healthy, that he should win a slam and really try to break through into the middle of that big three, particularly if this is going to be Rodgers maybe last full year, even though Roger mm-hmm. feels like he's going to be doing that Tom Brady thing. You know, <laughs> you know, all the way. And then, and then I wouldn't mind it with Serena. I mean, hey, you know, um, you know all that. But I think mm. Dominic, if he stays healthy with how he's gotten that little more sense of calm, yes, I still favor the likes of Medvedev. And even Djokovic necessarily on a lot of the quicker surfaces because I'm still worried about that swing over the course of five sets on the quicker mm-hmm. surfaces. 
But I think, though, that he should say to himself that it is an expectation for me to continue to win another slam, particularly if it's not going to happen on his favorite surface, which is clay with Rafa there. So I think right. that he has to be – he has to say I'm top three in the game now and that I have to push to try to be number one. Mm-hmm. Right. So let me ask you the GOAT question. And it's not, the goat que- it's not the GOAT <laughs> question that you think. Mm-hmm. It's on the women's side and on the men's side. So for the women, is Serena going to crack 24? And for the men – does Roger have another major in him? Well, Kenneth Isaac, as someone that is a full optimist, usually on Serena, and someone who has said Serena doesn't have to prove a single damn thing else about her being the undisputed GOAT. <laughs> she's already got the slam record from that always bogus Margaret Court very questionable around those who embrace wonderful rainbows and equality mm-hmm. uh, arena in her mm-hmm. still absurd self. Um, I think that is for me now with the opportunities that she's had, despite her still playing at a high level, I say she doesn't get it. Okay. And, and why? I think that even though she's still at a high level, it's something where I feel defensively the movement, even though she gets the balls, can still go away at times, like in a match in like key moments for me. And, you know, this is a thing where I I didn't even try to put too much um, into like, you know, this last US Open and losing to Vika. Um, you know, because I just I still felt like this how the whole tournament was still going on and this how Things were where a lot of players were out. Yes, it would have counted, but it still, you know, would have been something where people were like, oh, you know, you benefited from this and all this other nonsense, even though she still had to win seven matches. But um, it, I, I still feel that, you know, it's something where if the serve is not there all the time, um, that the movement there defensively on a few things has like a little bit waned for me. And I think that. Um, it's not even just about any, like, of that whole, you know, nerves that she feels in finals and stuff um, lately, which is, you know, sad, like, the case, even though she's always been, to me, like, the best, like, closer, you know, for sure, and she wouldn't have had the titles that she's had, considering how tough this era's been for her mm-hmm. to still be competitive in this age. But it's something where i just seen that, you know, just be the case too lately, where it's like, well... I need you to really try to string together some tournaments in terms of victories where I can just feel that, hey, you have that um, ability in the seventh match or at least the sixth or seventh match to just have just clear, um, clear, clear belief in terms of the, the big moments. And seeing her, and I don't want to go pan tribal with it because pan tribal is like the hell out of me. <laughs> you know, it's just like she wouldn't talk negative about Serena and that's the nerves mm. and the nerves of the situation when Serena literally has proven like all time clutch with it. Um but I think it's something where I just need to see that from a level of just if the serve is not operating well, like is the strokes at least gonna be there from both a defensive and offensive standpoint, at least 
for at least six of the seven, at least six of the matches where her serve is maybe carrying her mostly in one of them. And, you know, that's just my, this my whole like least concern with that, where at the moment I can't see it, but like, that's still really 50, 50, honestly, gentlemen, you heard me like just still pause like that because you can't ever count out Serena with that, particularly that fact that she's still on the court and still that competitive and still right there. And, you know, if Vika could still make the final with still not really much of a serve, then, you know, I love yep. Vika. Vika's a great person. Love to talk to her. But it's the truth of the matter. Then Serena, for sure, has a shot if she's coming to that tournament healthy. Mm-hmm. Right. And Roger, does he have another one in him? Oh, 50-50 questions <laughs> all the way. He certainly has another one in but. I think that it's going to be, for me, I don't think he gets another one. And uh, it's something where Wimbledon we didn't have this year. We didn't have that, you know, this year at all. And he's well-rested, uh, whether he plays on clay. And even if he does, he probably would just maybe just play just <laughs> – you wouldn't be surprised if he just goes there and say, I'm just going to play Roman Garros and that's it, you know. But – um, you know, just like with Serena a little bit, it's something where I think that against, say, Djokovic and not only, you know, Rafa, but how, you know, with team getting that big confidence win um, against him in Indian Wells um, last year in 2019, I think that there's just a few more, a little more challenges to him where at least in terms of getting back, you know, his outstanding serve, and trying to at least um, put him a little bit more on the defensive, despite him being an incredible mover and his defense always being, to me, most underrated defense ever, like in the game with how Roger just is amazing at being able to have those transition shots from uh-huh. defense to offense and getting back in the point and, u- and utilizing his movement as a defensive to offensive strength. Um, it's something where I just have to see that quality really be back in terms of being able to get those back-to-back wins against the likes of Djokovic, Nadal, and team. And I think that it's going to be a real challenge um, in best of five, even on grass. Um, It's a thing where physically he's going to be feeling healthy and feeling fresh without a doubt. But um, I just think, though, that Ooh, it's just the, it's just the fact that it's not just because of his level, but it's still the level of the other guys around him and uh-huh. how Novak is going to be hungry after all of the escapades of the end of the season in this year for him and Rafa having incredible rejuvenation and how Carlos Moya has continued to really make him more efficient as a player. I mean, that was, the you know, to me, the most impressive Roland Garros that Rafa won. I mean, he didn't even drop a set. Right. So, um, and that's carried over to at least him playing decently on hard court. So it's not just like the level that Roger, I think, is going to be at, but it's just the fact that we just had another challenger in Team Reverse and Medvedev really trying to find his way despite being flummoxed by Federer in the past. But this is a completely different Medvedev. Sasha Zarev, despite mm-hmm. all his issues, is that, you know, his success against Rodgers, Sissipas having his success. So it's a lot of things that still are going to need Rodgers to really be able 
to show that level physically, but also be able to mentally win those um, long matches against these guys, both the established ones and Novak and Rafa in that big three discussion. And then, you know, how hungry team Medvedev, Sissipas, Zarev, and a few more emerging are. Well, well, listeners, you've heard it here first on Brothers on Tennis. Andrew Jones says, uh-uh, for Serena <laughs> Williams and Roger <laughs> Let me be the jinx. Let me be the jinx. Please uh, let me be the jinx so we can have right. the haters touch. It is right. over and done for them. <laughs> I hope they happy at 23 and 20. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, like, is anybody going to try to deny they status to go? And no matter what, you know, Novak or, you know, or Rafa do, I mean, look, the number's still there. And the, the weekly number one in titles, let me, look, Ro- Ro- look, Roger for me is still, you know, my my goat with that. But, you know, <laughs> I want to see the haters. I want to see the haters try. Right. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for chatting it up with us tonight. I mean, this yes. is exactly what we thought it'd be. Uh, you are always so unfiltered and so entertaining and yet still so knowledgeable. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it blows my mind. And, and, and I know we didn't mention this earlier, but to hear someone talk at the level that you talk about each sport, I mean, not just tennis, you know, but basketball and football. I don't know how you football. I don't know how you do it. It's <laughs> everything I've got just to be up on one sport. Right? Man. Tennis, Isaac, it's like the sacrificing uprising on HBO viewing to really, <laughs> <laughs> to, re- to really, really get it. I mean, yeah, I mean, gentlemen, first, all I can say is that, you know, this is why I give y'all the claps here again. But it's not a time it. Because, you know, you two, since being on this app, you know, since September, even though it seems like eons ago with the many events that's happened, but um, just being able to see your show. And and honestly, it's really crazy how I didn't know you two before Locker Room app. And, um, you know, it's something where particularly when there was any, you know, black voice in tennis, whether on Twitter or online, I mean, or at least in the tennis circles. I like, yo, I got connected dumb. You know, man, woman with that, because it just, you know, the factors that, you know, we deal with, but also just that overall, uh, you know, solidarity and seeing like, yeah, I think that same way too um, type thing about like at least certain, you know, issues um, Mm -hmm. and just the level of energy. I was like, wow. And we talked about this in terms of, you know, how I feel that, literally tenant channel should have already had you guys on certain podcast things and we talked and you gentlemen told me about the factors in regards to that but just that whole level of things of just really giving those type of perspectives that you're not going to be finding in at least the quote-unquote regular mainstream media tennis world which is just an abomination on that and it was just just so refreshing just to have the friendship the chemistry that shots who have and just how entertaining it always has been so far. That's why I was so glad to really, you know, connect with y'all and then to do this with y'all right here. That was mandatory. You know, I had to be there. Chester, <laughs> Chester didn't even have to be another Jones. And I'm just, <laughs> you know, so yeah. You know, well, that's what I've been doing it, Kenneth. Well, I'll tell you what, we're hoping, like you said, as long as Dorona gets in check and all that, mm-hmm. we're hoping to be back at the U.S. Open. Uh, 
in 2021 and we expect to connect with you yes when we oh, are oh, there. absolutely <laughs> oh isaac isaac kenneth even the both even well indian wells when you talk is not a lot oh, is out of indian wells but right you know whether you know miami or dc or a lot of since a lot of tournaments in between and, and, and things like that and just trying to you know facilitate help you two out you know on things too on that end um that's that's a guarantee you know Appreciate you got me here with that without yes. a doubt that's gonna go down and just making sure that you know you, you two just got the best audio show that i hear in terms of it in terms of tennis and i'm not saying that because i, it's, I truly do feel that way with just how we really do need more interesting audio tennis shows and you two are certainly just that I'm just keeping it one million on that one. <laughs> Thank you. We appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. It. Absolutely. It. Yes, sir. And, and so listeners, we hope that you have enjoyed, uh, you know, this discussion we've had with our brother from another mother um, on, <laughs> on tennis and hearing his background. And you're going to hear him with us again, for sure. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Uh, so definitely leave us your feedback. Uh, we're going to continue to give you some great interviews through the rest of this year. Uh, the tennis is done uh, for the season, but uh, we are not. So <laughs> that's right. That, we will talk to you again next week with another exciting interview. Uh, this has been your boy Bryce. And this is your boy Isaac. Mm. And we are Brothers on Tennis. Everyone take care. <laughs> <laughs>